0: This is Truth Matters Church, contending for the faith, one verse at a time. Connect with us at truthmatterschurch.org. Continuing our expository study of Revelation, today we look at how Jesus told the believers in Philadelphia that he would both make them something and write something on them. Using Scripture as our guide, we strive to better understand this promise and how it applies to us. Leading our study, here is Pastor Alex.
1: And the title of our study today is I Will Make and Write on Him. These are the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, it is because of this I will statement in our last study. We did a study of the I wills of the Lord Jesus. And we looked at least throughout all the things that Jesus uttered from his very lips and what he proclaimed he's going to do himself. And we found that to be an enriching study. And part of the things he's going to do is he's going to make something, and he's going to write something. And I'm give you guys a little clue that's going to involve us. So we'll take a look into what this claim is and what this promise is communicating to us. Let's go ahead and read this short letter once again. And we will read, picking up in verse 7, through the end of this letter, and I'll be reading from the NES. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown." He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's pick it up in verse 12, shall we? And reread what our Lord said there. He says, he who overcomes... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. So what we'll do as we're looking to close this letter, let's look at this verse and because there's a lot here, let's take him in pieces and then put it together at the end. So let's look at it. We'll look at when he says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. We'll look at that. I will write on him. We'll look at that. And at least for today, I'm not going to talk too much about the New Jerusalem, but I will touch on it briefly. And then, you know, Jesus makes the claim and he says, My God. And we'll we'll look a little bit more behind that statement. So let's look at the, the first part. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. So let me ask us a question. Who's him in context? He who overcomes. Who is the one who overcomes? Christians, believers. John wrote in his epistle, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, as far as he who overcomes... It will be more applicable to those who are truly overcoming persecution and, and, in, and in many cases their lives and their safety you know, overcoming ex, you know, extreme opposition and you know, with their safety and their livelihood at stake, definitely he who overcomes would be definitely more applicable to them, but as we know that the truth and promises to the overcomers also apply to those of us don't necessarily have to overcome, let's say, some sort of severe persecution, if that wasn't something that we had to go through in our Christian walk. But he who overcomes him, Jesus says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And remember, Jesus says, I will. That's future tense, I will. So from the time of this letter, this is prophecy. Jesus says, I will make him believers faithful believers including those who have given their lives and have, or, or even uh, endured severe persecution he says i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god and let me ask us a question how do we know even from where we are today that this promise hasn't been fulfilled can i ask you are you a believer in jesus christ i'm a believer in jesus christ are you a pillar in the temple of his God? Not yet, right? So this is clear, even though this was written that first, you know, at the end of that first century, that even from where we are today, it still hasn't happened yet. This is unfulfilled prophecy. So believers in Jesus Christ haven't been made a pillar in the temple of his God yet. So this is still even future from us. And this is why this is an end times prophecy, even from us. So what does this promise mean? I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. So we're going to do what we're going to continue, to what we've been doing all along, and we're going to exposit this claim using Scripture. So let's look at this claim, and we'll look at the Greek word for pillar. So pillar is stulos. And pillar, or stulos, is only used four times in the New Testament. And it's used twice in this book. So you know how it's interpreted pillar in the English? Now stulos can actually mean a pillar, like a, something that's holding up a building or a construction. That can be a stulos. So it can be something that's supporting something. But when it comes to Scripture, the four times that stulos is used... It wasn't used to describe an actual physical building. And I want us to look at the other three mentions of stulos. And what we're going to see is at least stulos, when it's used in the New Testament, it's used figuratively. So if scripture is going to use it figuratively, we need to understand it figuratively, but it's going to point to a literal fulfillment, and we'll see what that means. But first, let me show us the other uses of stulos in the new testament in galatians 2 verse 9 paul writes there he goes and recognizing the grace that has been given to me james cephas and john who were reputed to be pillars who were reputed to be still us gave me and barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the gentiles and they to the circumcised so in galatians 2 still us was associated with the apostles who were reputed, who were thought of to be pillars. So James, Cephas, and John, Paul calls them, or their reputation was, they were pillars or they were stilles. And in that capacity or in in their influence, they gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that they might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And as you recall, there, there was a moment in Paul's ministry where there were some questions whether or not the gospel that he was bringing and preaching, you know, there were some questions whether or not that was the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there, there had to come a time when Paul had to bring his message before the apostles who were there from the very beginning with the Lord and he explained to them the gospel that was given to him and the task that he was given to do and in that interaction they accepted him the original apostles and and the the pillars of the original you know disciples who became apostles and here we also have including uh, James accepted Paul and endorsed you know basically gave him the right hand of fellowship So now the question is, okay, we have James, Stephen, and John who are reputed to be still us, pillars of what? Let's look at 1 Timothy to answer that question. And Paul writes to Timothy uh, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, he goes, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God the pillar the stulos and support of truth so in 1st timothy 3 stulos or pillar is associated with the church of the living god the stulos and support of truth so here you can see on the deck the church of the living god equals the stulos and support of the truth another way to say it the church of jesus christ the true church indwelt by believers in which there is also you know, the foundation of the apostles and prophets and now teachers and pastors and now believers are all part of the church of the living God and collectively the stillness and support of truth. So if we tie in 1 Timothy 3 and Galatians 2, the apostles... Who were reputed to be pillars or stulos? The apostles were the pillars or stulos of the church and truth. So the first century church, the first century apostles, they were the pillars. They were the stulos of the church and of truth. If there was any dispute, you went to the apostles. They had the final say. What did our Lord say? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whenever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. That was given directly to the apostles. So going back to my original example, when the apostle Paul, when there was questions about the legitimacy of his gospel and his ministry, he had to go to the stylos, the pillars, the church, the, the, the leaders of the church of the living God, and appointed there in that office would include the apostles there was a third and other mention of stulos. Are you guys kind of staying with me? Remember, our Lord's saying, I will make him. He says, I'm going to make believers a stulus in the temple of my God. And we're understanding stulos. We're not going to actually be a pillar, okay? Support, like holding a construction of a building. This is used figuratively, and it was used figuratively to describe in this case, let's say the apostles who were the stilos of the church and of truth, of the church of the living God. I want will look at a third mention of stulos when it was also used figurative in this way. And this is later in Revelation chapter 10 in John's vision of a strong angel. Let's look at verse 1. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars like stillus of fire. So in Revelation 10:1, John sees this vision of this strong angel, and when he describes this angel's feet, he describes it like stillus of fire. And it kind of reminds me of our Lord Jesus' burnished bronze feet in Revelation 1 that was made as a fire burned in a furnace. But the point here, in this third mention of styllus, it's describing the feet of this this strong angel that is holding him, him up and supporting him. So here's my case in point, at least when it comes to Stilus. Even though it can mean a pillar that's actually holding up a physical building, when we look at its use in the New Testament, it is used figuratively to describe those who are part of the church of the living God. So with that, the If we were to look at the other three mentions of stillness in Scripture, it's either it was attributed to the apostles as pillars of the church in truth, and it was also attributed to a strong angel's feet as pillars as of fire. So with that, I want to ask us a question. Which of these best describe the stillness in verse 12? Because the context is going to tell us one way or another, Will Jesus make believers? just like the apostles as far as being pillars of the church and truth or will we be like strong angels with feet as pillars as of fire so this promise jesus is going to make believers as pillars of the church and truth we're going to be thought of we're going to have a reputation of being a stillus of the church and truth do you ever wonder what our lord thinks of you I we like, yeah, well, actually, you probably hope he doesn't really think of you because we're still unredeemed. We, there's still a lot of work to do in us. But wouldn't it be pretty cool if our Lord thought highly of you and thought highly of me as pillars of the church and of truth, which is true. Our Lord is going to think well of us, believe it or not. And that's one of the promises that's in store for us. I know we don't feel like that right now, especially because we still have a fallen sin nature, but we will be thought of by our Lord Jesus Christ as pillars, stulos, of the church of the living God and of truth. So that would include you, that would include me, and that would include the believers who also make up the church Where is he going to make us and think of us as pillars of the church and truth? Where? It's in the verse. In the temple. Let me ask you a question. Is the temple here yet? It's in our heart, though, isn't it? Isn't our heart a temple? Yes. Yes, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which dwells in us. Yes. Those are true. But that doesn't take away the fact that here he will make believers a pillar in the temple of my God. So there is going to be, are you kind of seeing this? God has a temple that isn't here yet. And when that temple is here, he will make believers, the church of Jesus Christ, a pillar in that temple of his God. So we're going to be upstanding heavenly citizens making up the church of Jesus Christ. Pretty neat. As far as the temple I'm not going to get too much into that temple today because I'm going to save that for future studies. But I will say this. When he says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, I'll say this. It wasn't the tabernacle that was under Moses. It wasn't the first temple that was constructed under Solomon. It wasn't the second temple that was constructed under Zerubbabel and renovated up to Herod, nor is it the future third temple that is still yet to be constructed in Jerusalem. Because in that temple is where the abomination of desolation is going to occur. So when he says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, it's neither of those. I'll say that for right now. So what temple is he talking about then? Well, whatever this temple is, it's tied to the name of my God. It's tied to the name of the city of my God. And it's tied to the new Jerusalem. So where is this temple from? Hint, it's in, it's in heaven. So when he says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, it's none of the earthly temples, including the tabernacle, or any of the three temples, ultimately, that will have been constructed throughout history. This temple is tied to the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem, which is in heaven. So, this promise has to deal with a temple that is from heaven. Lo and behold, John in this great vision, he tells us more of that when we get to Revelation 21. And we're not going to get into Revelation 21 now. You know, how many of us have watched a movie and went right to the end, or someone told you the end? I'm not going to do that. Because it's like me telling you the ending of the movie at the beginning. But I'm going to say this this promise that He will make believers, the Church of Jesus Christ, a pillar, a stulos in the temple of his God. I'll tell you when that is. It is after the seven seals, after the seven trumpets, after the seven bowls. It's after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It's after. It's after Satan was loosed for a thousand years. So it's this promise is way towards the end. It was after Satan was cast into the lake of fire. And it is after the great white throne judgment. Then he will make him a pillar in the temple. He'll make believers, the church of Jesus Christ, a temple, a pillar in the temple of his God. So Jesus promised he will make the church, the members of God's household, a pillar of truth in the temple from heaven, post seven seals, seven, summits, seven trumpets, seven bowls, post millennial, post Satan loose from a thousand year imprisonment, post Satan cast into the lake of fire, post great white throne judgment. So I want to ask us this question. This, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of huge epics of time there towards the end. But what does the scripture call this post period collectively? So uh, here, uh, I'm going to use kind of a little diagram. Remember, we're taking Revelation from 1 to 22 in chronological order. I'm not going to rearrange it. So in chronological order, we had the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls. Then we have the millennial reign of Christ. Then Satan was freed after the thousand years were complete. Then the lake of fire. Satan was thrown into the lake of fire. Then we get the great white throne judgment. Then there's this period right here. What does the scripture call that period after the great white throne judgment? <laughs> That's the new heaven and the new earth. When the first heaven and the first earth fled away and there was no longer any sea, then I saw the new heaven, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride beautifully adorned for her husband. This is in the new heaven and the new earth. So this promise, we're already raised We're already glorified. We've already ruled and reigned in Christ in the millennial reign. And even after that, there's still promises that our Lord will fulfill. Remember, every promise in Scripture will be fulfilled in its due time. This particular promise is way at the end when the temple of His God in the new heaven and the new earth arrives and there's no longer any sea. So, There's promises that will be fulfilled under the current first heaven and first earth, but this particular promise is after the first heaven and the first earth passes away. So he not only promises to make us a pillar in heaven's temple, in the new heaven and new earth, but he goes on to say, I will write on him. You're like, well, am I going to remember this? Well, I think when you're redeemed... His word will be in us to the greatest extent, and we will know that this promise is still in store for us, and he will. But not only will he make believers a pillar in the temple of his God, in the new heaven and the new earth, but he says, I will write on him. What will our Lord write on believers? He will write the name of my God. He will write the name of the city of my God, he will write the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and he will also write his new name. And I want to ask us a question. Where is he going to write it on us? Because you've got to use Scripture. Oh, he's just going to spiritually autograph our heart and our soul. I'm like, well, can you support it with Scripture? Then I'll, I'll, I'll consider it. But we've got to use Scripture. So he's going to write on believers... Not only is he going to make believers pillars you know, in the church of Jesus Christ in the new temple when the new heaven and the new earth is here, but he's saying he's also going to write on believers the name or anoma of his God, the name or anoma of the city of his God, the new Jerusalem of his God, and his new name or anoma given by his God. So this is also in the new heaven and a new earth. He's going to write on believers something. We got to use Scripture. And my question is, where? On what part of the body or soul is he going to write these things? So write is grafo. We've covered this briefly. And it's used 66 times in the New Testament. When he says, I will write, literally write, inscribe. It's used to describe anything written down. Uh, the scriptures, the grafo, was written, recorded by the holy prophets and apostles and those associated with them. Wrote it. They grafo. Literally means to write. And he's saying, so he's literally going to write something. And he says, I'm going to write on him. So what I did was, I looked at all 66. I go, okay, when did God or any person of the Godhead write anything on a person, whether it's their body or their soul? And... There was only one. Said, okay. So out of the 66 mentions of Grapho, when did God or any persons of the Trinity write something on someone, on a person or a being? And it was in Revelation 14, verse 1, and it was concerning the 144,000 sealed Jews. So let's see what that tells us. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him... 144,000 having his name his enoma and the name the enoma of his father written grafo on their foreheads now staying true to our rules of engagement are you or i part of the 144,000 sealed jews well the first question is are you jewish then if it's no then it's not you the next question is okay if you are Jewish did you, are you virgin Jew have you defiled yourself with women if the answer is you have that's not you because these kept themselves chaste but what i want us to get here is here we see that the 144,000 are with the lamb the lord jesus christ they were standing on mount zion and those 144,000 had his name, Anoma, and the name of his father written on their foreheads. This is the only time, or the only time in Scripture, where we see God or, one per, or any person of the Trinity involved in the writing of his name or his authority on a person or persons. And in this case, It was 144,000 sealed Jews who had his name and his authority, his enoma, and his fathers written on their foreheads. So this is a deduction. If you were to ask me, okay, Alex, when do you think, or where do you think our Lord will write on us the name of his God, the name of the city of his God, and the new Jerusalem? Well, I'm like, well, if I'm looking at the 144,000 sealed Jews... And it was written on their foreheads. If you were to ask me, I believe he's going to write on our foreheads as well. But they were written before the new heavens and the new earth, correct? Because 144,000 were sealed under the present heaven and the present earth. But we're not going to get that until after. Maybe that ties into the he who is first, is last, last is first kind of mystery. But just know that the church of Jesus Christ won't have the name or the city of the name of the Father and the new Jerusalem written on us until the new heaven and the new earth. And if you ask me, I believe it's also going to be on our forehead as well. So with that, I'd also like to touch briefly on the new Jerusalem. Now I do want to touch briefly on the new Jerusalem, just briefly. And again, I also won't delve too much into that But I do want to make a few comments on the New Jerusalem, at least today. In verse 12, the temple in the city, um, or in the city of my God, our Lord says, is the New Jerusalem. So if you're taking notes, the city of my God is the New Jerusalem. City of my God is the New Jerusalem. Sometimes it's called the city of my God or the city of God, or it's called the new Jerusalem. They're talking about the same thing. There aren't two cities here. When it says the new Jerusalem, new, kainos in the Greek, when you look at kainos, this new Jerusalem, it speaks of something that's surpassing in quality. It's something of a a new kind. It's like this freshness. So this kainos Jerusalem, we can contrast it with the old Jerusalem. That existed on Earth. So when it says this Kainos Jerusalem, this City of God, it surpasses in quality to the old the City of God here, or that's also associated with the Jerusalem here. So this Kainos Jerusalem, this New Jerusalem, it's something different. It's something better, and it's something that has never been experienced yet. So just like, and here's where I'm starting to ponder these things, just like the earthly tabernacle was a shadow of the true tabernacle, which is in heaven or the true temple, so is the earthly Jerusalem, a shadow of the true city, the new Jerusalem, the Kinos Jerusalem that is in heaven and is to come. So what's happening in the physical is just a shadow of what's happening or what's, What's a reality in the heavens or in the heavenlies? And I've mentioned this before. Whatever happens or in the physical, it began in the spiritual and it is manifesting itself in the physical. So in that same way, when God, through Moses, gave the people of Israel the law, including the instructions of the earthly tabernacle, now could, the, could they modify the instructions? The people of Israel? No. They had to build it exactly as was given to them by God through Moses. However, the, the temple was constructed, including the furnishings and everything, because that was a shadow of the true tabernacle which is in heaven. And in that same way, the, the Jerusalem, which God himself has decided to call by his name, and why he called out the people of Israel as his own, the earthly Jerusalem, the reason why God did that, and he chose them to be his chosen people, because that was going to be a shadow of the true city, the new Jerusalem, which is in heaven and is going to come. And I can take this further. So what I'm saying is, whatever is happening, and you look at you study the Bible, when God is working and, and working out his redemptive will and plan, he is giving us a pattern or a shadow of what is in heaven and it is to come. So when you look at it, you're like, okay, wait. Why did, call, why did God call Abram to leave his father and to go to a land that he was going to show them, ultimately the promised land, and ultimately, obviously, in the most ancient of Jerusalem? Why did God choose, call Abraham to leave his family and promised and gave him the Abrahamic covenant to bless him, to give him descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and to give him land. Because Abraham's physical descendants on earth, they were, they were a shadow of the citizens of God in heaven. Another way to look at it, when you look at Abraham's descendants, and we talked about this in past studies, he has two types of descendants, Abraham. He has physical descendants, and he has spiritual descendants as far as of those who are of the faith. Who are Abraham's true descendants of faith? Even our Lord said for the Jews, the religious leaders that were out to kill him, they're saying, oh, we're Abraham's descendants. And he's like, well, if Abraham was your father, then you would do the deeds of Abraham, because he saw my day and was glad. So, Abraham's true descendants are those who are of faith of Abraham. That was a shadow or a picture pointing to the true citizens of heaven that will make up this new Jerusalem. Are you guys kind of seeing this? What God is doing, especially from the call of Abram ultimately to the people of Israel and entrusting them with the oracles and giving them the laws and the temple sacrifices and the feast observances, these were all shadows of the eternal truth and reality that's going to come, just like there was an old Jerusalem here, when the first heaven and the first earth and this old Jerusalem passes away, then a new heaven and a new earth with the new Kainos Jerusalem will come down out of heaven. So, this new Jerusalem, this Kainos Jerusalem, is what's in store for us. So, let's see if you're paying attention. We already answered this. When is that going to come? I kind of answered it. When is this new Jerusalem going to come? Exactly. Which is the period called the new heaven and the new earth. So, this is also way... I mean, we've been redeemed at this time, resurrected, We've been on earth under the millennial kingdom for at least a thousand years. And this is, we still have the new Jerusalem, which is to come. But under the old Jerusalem, under the current Jerusalem, in this present heaven, and this present earth, our Lord still has prophecies to fulfill that was given and written in the prophets. And that would come from the promised Davidic kingdom. And... being being the son of David, and sitting on the throne of David, and ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. But that's under the present Jerusalem, under the old Jerusalem, which in and of itself is going to pass away. But his kingdom is not. His kingdom will endure even when the new heaven and the new earth comes. It'll endure forever. It's amazing.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for listening today to Truth Matters Church. Be sure to check back soon for part two of this message as Pastor Alex wraps up our look at Jesus' promise to make believers a pillar and to write the name of His God and the city of His God on us. If you've enjoyed this expository study, consider joining us in person or online every Friday night. You can find out details at truthmatterschurch.org. That's truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.